You're listening to the Quince podcast. After one of the most hostile transfers of power ever witnessed in the US, Joseph Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the country. The pandemic meant that the usual crowd of citizens at the inauguration was rather restricted this year. The swearing in ceremony of Biden and Kamala Harris was not only the first woman vice president but also the first black American person of Indian origin in the position took place before a sparsely populated massed gathering of senators, congressmen and former presidents. But the stunning visuals of the field of flags at the National Mall to represent American citizens, the heartfelt performances by JLo, Lady Gaga and the young poet Amanda Gorman, the grand conclusion with fireworks and Katy Perry more than made up for this modest ceremony that took place just 2 weeks after US Capitol's disconcerting siege by pro-Trump insurrectionists. And all eyes were on Biden. as he took oath with a message of democracy's victory echoing abraham lincoln's words from the proclamation of emancipation quote if my name ever goes down in history it'll be for this act and my whole soul is in it and quote he vowed to bring all america together democracy has prevailed so now on this hallowed ground we're just a few days ago Violence sought to shake the capital's very foundation. We come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than 2 centuries. But as difficult as it was for Biden to take office with Trump trying every trick to forestall his inauguration, the path ahead of him is going to be equally daunting if not more. As he inherits a nation ravaged by the COVID-19 pandemic, a deep political hostility and racial inequality. While the Biden admin wasted no time after the inauguration and went on to signing a flurry of executive orders to reverse some of Trump's decisions including one to re-enter the Paris Climate Accord, what will the first 100 days of the Biden government look like? What kind of reconfiguration of policies are we likely to see in the US? Is President Biden likely to take the US back to the Obama era or will he carve out his own niche? In this podcast, you'll hear from Akshob Girdhar Das, a journalist based in DC who writes on geopolitics, business, tech and sports. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you and I'm your host, Shalpuri. The Biden administration has its hands full already with a number of challenges on its way. While Biden faces opposition from Trump supporters who still doubt his legitimacy, currently there's the worst public health crisis with more than 4 lakh people having died from coronavirus in the country so far. His 7% unemployment rate, the largest federal debt, stiff competition from China, and a possible impeachment trial at the Senate as well. Along with that Biden will also be expected to keep his word on addressing the deep racial divide in the country. Now for Joe Biden who's seen nine presidents come and go and even play the supporting role to Obama it's all a familiar terrain. He's already heralded a kind of diversity never seen before in American politics. He's also announced a 1.9 trillion dollar worth relief package to tackle the economic fallout from the pandemic. And unlike Trump, he believes in the threats of climate change. As Trump spent his first 100 days in office undoing and dismantling President Barack Obama's policy to push his America First agenda, 
so will Biden. Nine of the 17 executive orders signed by Biden within the first hours of his presidency are about reversing a number of Trump's policies on immigration. And these include, first and foremost, an end to the construction of the border wall with Mexico, two, revoking Trump's immigration policies and fortifying the DACA program, three, ending the quote-unquote Muslim ban, which is essentially a ban on travel and immigration from Syria, Iran, Iraq, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, Yemen and other countries that was brought about by the Trump admin in 2017. Number four, reversing the exclusion of undocumented immigrants from the census. And some of the other orders include reversing Trump's decision to remove the US from the World Health Organization, prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, along with race, colour, religion, sex and national origin. While some of the loftier strategies on trade and foreign policy are expected to come only much later, what will the first 100 days of the Biden presidency look like? Akshob Girdhardas says that the initial focus will be on domestic issues. There's a lot of talk about the first 100 days because that's sort of what's called, um, you know, the initial report card. So what uh, right now, uh, the first 100-day plans, of course, largely domestic focus because the United States is in the middle of a cataclysmic pandemic, which has consumed the most lives and, of course, affected the United States more. So uh, it's a very domestic focus agenda. So at the, at the very beginning, uh, the rollout of the vaccines is a top priority. Uh, the 100 million uh, vaccines uh, vaccinations uh, for um, uh, is the intended goal. The United States has already started rolling out the Pfizer vaccines. Um, it's sort of reopening U.S. schools, which have been intermittent, open and closed this year. Uh, Biden wants to pass a nearly two trillion economic plan. It's around 1.9 trillion. Uh, there's also an immigration proposal, but that's a different immigration. It's not H-1B immigration, which a lot of Indian nationals look at. It's immigration proposal uh, along what Obama's plan was for DACA's and Dreamers, as I've written before for the Quint as well. Um, immigration under Biden is very different and Obama is very different. It'll be towards darkers and dreamers and providing a pathway to citizenship. Uh, Biden's plan is to kind of make sure that that plan, uh, pathway to citizenship, does not extend more than eight years. Right now, even if you're getting a green card through um, a family-based immigration, if you're an Indian national or getting a green card through employment sponsorship, that itself goes into 10 and 12 years. And if you're an Indian national and getting a green card through family-based, that can go up to 20 years. So this immigration proposal for uh, illegal immigrants and DACA's and Dreamers, um, Biden's plan is to do under eight years. Um, uh, also, there is a federal uh, mask wearing mandate, uh, at least on all federal property, because of course, as we know, all uh, governors of states have had different rules on wearing masks, but particularly Republican governors. So I think these are the immediate priorities. But again, the first 100-day plan is um, a good opening report card. But again, policy is far more complicated than that. So um, I wouldn't look at it too much. But of course, rejoining the climate change is the biggest um, foreign policy announcement on this front. Um, and that's why John Kerry, the former Secretary of State and former presidential candidate, is known as the climate czar. And he'll be sort of leading this engagement. But national issues aside, Biden has a lot of work to do on restoring America's reputation. Trump had taken America on an isolationist route and Biden has already begun with signing an executive order to have America back on the Paris Climate Accord. But he still has to patch up with allies and most importantly, counter China as it emerges out to be a rather strong economic rival to the US. Now, Trump had taken a hard-lined approach towards China like launching trade wars, imposing tariffs, but what is Biden's approach towards China going to look like? So very quickly, uh, obviously, U.S. and China sit at the top of the geopolitical spheres uh, in the totem pole of number one and number two. And what you've seen with President Donald Trump, or right now former President Donald Trump, 
uh, was a sense of bellicosity, a sense of hostility that we saw, especially with trade wars that were going on. With Joe Biden, there'll be a resumption of normal commercial ties, or as what former Defense Secretary uh, Bob Gates describes as, there'll be small yard high fence in the sense that there won't be limits on commercial engagement the way Trump put tariffs on China and the way China responded with tariffs on soybeans as well. But what there will be um, concerns on is on U.S. security. Don't forget, Joe Biden ran on a platform Three point Obama 3.0. Biden's whole platform was he didn't have a platform. He sort of ran as Obama's former vice president, and this election was more of a referendum on Trump. So Biden will continue the same foreign policy objectives as Obama. And Obama was tough on China on security issues. We've seen that right now with Huawei. We're going to see that with, um, um, you know, concerns around um TikTok, you're going to see that with concerns around Chinese companies, particularly uh, on uh, concerns on cyber espionage. But there will be more commercial engagements, and Biden, unlike Trump, will be less bellicose. Um, at least with China, it will be small yard, high fence, that is very uh, low um, barriers on commercial engagement, but still strict uh, national security interests. So you will still see the U.S.'s Indo-Pacific arrangement will be a massive uh, focus. So in terms of trade relations, is Biden likely to take the United States back to the Obama era or will he carve out a niche of his own? Mr. Girdhar Das says that while Trump had a more insular outlook in trade, under Biden there's going to be a return to multilateralism as already exhibited by the executive order on the Paris Accord. Fundamentally, you have to understand that Donald Trump uh, was insular, was an economic nationalist and sort of eschewed a sense of multilateralism. He wasn't averse to trade deals as much as being averse to multilateral trade deals. Donald Trump uh, is very transactional and he sort of believed everything was done apprentice style, two people sitting in a room and hashing it out. Whereas diplomacy is more complicated and multilateral diplomacy is very, very complicated. And hence Trump did not like things like the TPP and NAFTA. And So under Biden, there'll be a, a return to Obama 3.0. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, was sort of Obama's signature move towards Asia. And it was sort of the US and Southeast Asia sort of telling China because the elephant in the room is always a dragon. It was sort of, you know, a counterweight to China's hegemon in the region. And Trump, by pulling out of the TPP, sort of scored an own goal. It was sort of the United States moving out of, you know, stepping out of the field and allowing China to win or sort of scoring an own goal. So under Biden, there'll be a return to multilateralism. There'll be a return to more multilateral trade deals. Uh, as you've already seen, Trump has, uh, Biden, sorry, has already shown a sense of alacrity to get back to the Paris Climate uh, Accords. Um, and Biden will look at India very closely on that. I mean, let's not forget, United States and India on trade disagree a lot. Like with all two countries, you can have the best of multilateral and bilateral relations however trade is one place where see in the united states and canada have taken each other to the world trade organization for the wto as i say you can buy submarines from each other but still argue over soybeans that's the nature of trade so even under the united states and india as i wrote earlier like when trump had come to india there was still uh, no new trade deal there was new delhi but no new trade deal and uh, over the past year, the United States and India also hit each other on tit-for-tat tariffs, uh, especially in the year 2019. Uh, Trump imposed aluminium and steel tariffs. New Delhi slapped tariffs on 
28 US products including Harley-Davidson motorcycles and US grown apples and Washington has also withdrawn its long-standing um, preferential status which is known as the general system of preferences or GSP and by doing so India was precluded from exemption of billions of dollars worth of US tax and levies but and India has also done you know a retaliatory tariff measure so look the, you have to understand that the bilateral relationship between the United States and India will continue. However, trade is a different thing because each country looks after its own economic national interests. So, and India is also very inwardly protectionist. As you can see how India backed off from the RCEP, even though the United States is not in it. But it's India is very inwardly protectionist. So when India is very inwardly protectionist, this has sort of frustrated Washington for a long time. And India is very inwardly protectionist for its own domestic uh, national interest, for protecting its small-scale industries. And that goes against the American norm of being free market enterprise. So that's where the two sides will disagree. But that does not mean that bilateral relations will be, you know, singed because of that that it's almost like, as I said, the United States and Canada, which are the best of diplomatic relations, have taken each other in front of the WTO. So I wouldn't, I would look at those two in very different components. Now, as the Biden era began in the US, PM Modi extended his wishes on Twitter, saying that he looks forward to working with him. But political diplomacy aside, what is also invoking interest in the US elections amongst Indians is that for the first time in America's history, there are at least 20 members of Indian origin in Biden's administration, not to mention Kamala Harris, of course, who's of Indian origin from her mother's side. And that brings us to the question, how will India-US relations look like under Biden, especially regarding human rights issues, as both countries are looking at a polarized population? If you look at the India-US relations under Trump, despite him pulling out of the Paris Accord or the Iran nuclear deal, which increased India's oil expenses or his anti-immigration policies that hit Indian workers and students hard, in the past years, we've seen this flamboyant display of PM Modi and Donald Trump's bonhomie. While Modi attended one of the biggest campaigns on US soil by any foreign leader in the recent years, Trump turned the other way on issues of Kashmir and minority rights abuses in the country. But contrasting Trump's silence was Biden's political campaign where his agenda for Muslim American communities included a call to the Indian government to, quote, take all necessary steps to restore rights for all the people of Kashmir, end quote. So then are we likely to see pushbacks from his administration on rights abuses taking place in the country currently? Mr. Girdhadas says that the country's bilateral ties are politically agnostic. Hence, things said at the campaign is likely to differ from the administrative decision making. So I've said this before and I'll say it again. I've written an op-ed for the Quint as well. What I kind of describe how India and the US are political, uh, the bilateral relationship is politically agnostic. And why do I say that? Um, uh, since the reset of diplomatic ties between uh, the United States and, um, and India in the 1990s, you've seen since uh, Clinton and Vajpayee, we've had every permutation combination of Democrat, Republican, BJP and Congress. Uh, think about it, under Clinton, Vajpayee, you had Democrat and BJP. Under Bush, Vajpayee, you're Republican, BJP. You had Manmohan Bush, that's Republican Congress. You had uh, Manmohan Obama, that is uh, Democrat Congress. You had Modi uh, Obama, that's Republican B uh, so Democrat BJP. And you had Modi Trump, which was uh, BJP and Republican. Now you have Modi uh, Biden. Firstly, Modi has become the first prime minister since Indira Gandhi to deal with three 
presidents. He dealt with Obama, he dealt with Trump, he dealt with Biden. So, yes, of course, these are concerns that I've heard about repeatedly from the Indian media. But you have to understand what's said on the campaign trail doesn't translate into foreign policy necessarily. Foreign policy is done by the State Department. You're in Foggy Bottom in Washington, D.C. and done by South Block and Raisina Hill in New Delhi. What's said on the campaign trail doesn't translate to even Bernie Sanders said things about Kashmir. And we've seen from Don if Donald Trump's campaign four years ago and with anything to go by that what's on the campaign trail is very little foreign policy. So uh, the United States understand that India is too important, a bilateral relationship. Uh, three major angles of the India and the United States is the first part is the strategic interest, that is defense, uh, economy, trade aspects of the strategic partnership as well as security with Indo-Pacific. Um, there's also the fact that uh, the United States sees India as a large uh, democratic economic counterweight to China, a vast market for American goods and enterprises. The second uh, element is the shared democratic values that both the United States and India share. Of course, we keep seeing that US-India dialogues are world's largest democracy and world's oldest democracy. So there are these elements as well where you see that there is a bonhomie. And the third and the most important part is the Indian diaspora in the US. That's become too important, too prominent, and the highest echelons. It's not just you know that you see Indian techies and scientists, but even the head of Microsoft, the head of Google being you know, people of Indian origin or Indian nationalities at one point, itself is showing that there's more prominence. And given that Indian diaspora is more vocal on Capitol Hill and more present in Senate and Congress, this that element is far too strong. Yes, of course, there will be things said about Kashmir, uh, but that that Congressman Rokanda will say, that uh, Congresswoman Pramila Jaipal will say, but you have to understand that these are people who own independent congressional seats. That less to do with the Biden administration. Even if there was a Republican Senate, Republican Congress, Republican President, Elon Omar will continue saying what she wants to say. So these people have, senators and congressmen have individual voices. There's less to do with the administration. So you have to understand that foreign policy is done by the State Department, will acknowledge, understands India's importance, and as well as the fact that India and the US is truly politically agnostic in the bipartisan sense. Given the fact that Prime Minister Modi dealt with pre pre President Obama and dealt with President Trump with an equal amount of bonhomie, two very different presidents, and you know, and, and still will pick up where they left off, and will continue to do that with President Biden. So there is no concern on where India and the US are, and even if comments will come on Kashmir, it's because Washington has long seen its position as if there's any disturbance in human rights in the world, they will voice it out. There's a whole congressional caucus dedicated to speaking about such human rights concerns. So that will not necessarily be anything on the campaign trail. The U.S. has formally acknowledged that uh, you know, Kashmir is a bipartisan issue and it is not something for the um, United States to intervene. Don't forget, it was Trump being Trump who brought up Kashmir with Imran Khan because Trump does not follow foreign policy norms and he d decided to um, you know, break with diplomatic discourse on that front. So on that note, I won't really worry too much on that. While Biden's reforms from day one spell good news for India, will India-US ties get a boost to counterbalance China? Or will the likely revival of the Trans-Pacific Partnership hurt India's export? All that will be left to see. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story playlist for episodic updates. We'll have on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcasts at thequin.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint's website and check out our other podcasts. 